Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. So what? what's the nearest town to where we're at where would you go to buy groceries for your house mike rolling fork rolling fork rolling Rolling fork Fork, mississippi Mississippi. where the tornado hit we are near rolling fork mississippi yeah about 22 miles and well rolling fork mississippi is where that huge tornado came through that's correct and you guys were you were there on the scene am i right oh everybody was yeah i mean the whole town yeah. When was Who that back in the spring? Was, was there helping in the spring? Yeah. Yeah. I think March. Yeah, back in March. That terrible tornado. We're in Mississippi. We It's dark outside right now, but we're within sight of the Mississippi River. I've got, to my right, Lake Pickle. Howdy. Good to see you, Lake. Likewise. To your right, Jordan Blissett. Hello. You guys are old regulars on the Bear Grease podcast, though. Oh yeah, second I mean, appearance. They're sitting here just like, oh man, this is just another day in the park. Been here, done that. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you this: the last time Jordan and I were on the render, I'd gotten used to unusual guests being on the render, and then the OG crew roasting them the next week, and they never said anything yeah. about us. They never said nothing about me and Jordan. So that kind of like, stopped. The 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 OG group kind of chilled out a little bit. I think. Well, I was worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> to Jordan's right, the guest of honor in my mind. <laughs> Mike Amden. Pleasure. Man, Mike, I, I got some specific questions for you about the Mississippi River. All I right? hope I can answer. Yeah, man. To to Mike's right, Brent Reeves. Hey, buddy. 
It's good to have you back, Brent. It's good to be Brent's here. Brent's a regular, except when he's not. <laughs> when he <laughs> does whatever he does. But, I do what I do. And then to Brent's right is Drew Steckline. Thanks Nailed for having it. me. <laughs> Man, so Drew is uh, your videographer, photographer, former professional skier. Snow yep. skier. Yep. Right on. Would you guess that he has two L-shaped plates on both cheeks of his face? I mean, I'd wondered why he looked like that, but now <laughs> did it have anything? No, I actually thought he was pretty well put together no, for a guy I that's no, like I... had his face broke up. Did it have? I mean, did your face hit a tree or something? What happened? I had my uh, knee in a skiing accident, and then the other one uh, collided into somebody else's foot. Oh, uh. mm. oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. No snow involved. No snow involved. <laughs> no snow involved. <laughs> no. I, it's been good to get to meet Drew. And then uh, I guess the, the the seventh guest of honor is oh. Brent's big buck that he killed just today. We've got the rack of How about beautiful that? That buck deer, Mississippi Delta buck. That rack of horns you're, that you're holding right now slept in the woods last night. Yeah. Hunter cleaned that up, didn't he? Yeah, he did. That looks good. Nice, sleeping in the house. Well, hey, we've got – man, do we have a lot to talk about. We so the this latest episode of the Bear Grease podcast, mm-hmm. the Donnie Baker story nightmare. This was a super unique podcast for me to put together. We're going to talk about it mm-hmm. in a little bit. Okay, but uh, but first, man, I'm I'm always torn on whether we should talk about what we've been doing. We've been uh, we've been we've been hunting down here in Mississippi. It's January the January the ninth mm-hmm. today. We've been deer hunting, duck hunting. Brent's been doing a little hog hunting. Yep. And uh, Brent and I rode 250 miles down the and Drew and Isaac Neal 250 miles down the Mississippi River to get here. We could have just drove here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Would have been a little quicker just to drive here, but nah. Th- there's a film project that you'll see at some point this year on Meat Eater that's going to be going to be really cool. But, uh, Mike, how long have you been living close to the Mississippi? Uh, 12 years. 12 years. Last 12 years. But, man, you're, uh, you're a river rat, Mike. <laughs> I knew that when I saw you. Well, you can't really help it. Can't help it. Mm-mm. But you love to catfish, you and your wife. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time. She all fishes time. all the time. I fish part time. She, she, like, she wants to fish every day. Yeah. Man, I wish we could have put some lines out. Today. Oh, me too. We tried to do some fishing, which January you wouldn't think would be good for catfishing, and I mean it's not a traditional time to do it. But you you can catch them in January. Oh yeah, they're they're they they're out there doing catfish stuff. But we can catch them here in a month or so too. Yeah, be better actually. Yeah, <laughs> what's the biggest what's the biggest blue cat you caught out of the river? Uh, Eighty two. Eighty two pounds. Rodden. Now that that was on a uh, that's on a. Uh, Vertical line. Vertical line. Biggest one on, my wife actually caught the biggest um, blue we got, and it was uh, 76 on a pole. Mm. And then she's caught a a 67 flathead, 67-pound flathead. So she 80, got both records right now, but that's just kind of a weird thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. When you say vertical line, is that like a limb line? No, like a, um, you just you find your deep hole and put your weight on, and then you start dropping it down and just, Take them clips and clip your hooks on, okay. and then have jugs on top. Uh. I just started it this year myself, and uh, very productive. 
Huh. Wow. So it's a vertical. It's it's just like a. I finally understood it the second time you described it to me. Right. It's just like a trot line, except it goes oh, yeah, straight down. Tri- everything's the same. Trot just put line, a except- weight on the end and just drop it, and then you have some special thing that clips onto the we line. Just, yeah, it's a little old trot line clip where you hook on it. Yeah. We fish leaders about like that. So you so you and got a a bunch of different hooks at different depths that way. Exactly. Okay. So now, you know how you, you get, tie off the bank, you know, you kind of stretch it out there and on your first, you know, few catch or whatever. This yeah. is, you got every depth. Huh. Works uh, great. Okay. Now, okay, Mike, the Achilles heel of the vertical trout line. What if it gets hung up down there? <laughs> we, you really don't. Not in the Mississippi River. I mean, there's not that much structure anyway. And uh, you're always around the back of them dikes and it's pretty clean. So does the... Does now, the, it's more for... You'll catch more uh, blue cat than you do flatheads. Okay, second problem, potential problem. You get 30 fish on the same line. They all get in cahoots together and take that sucker down. I hadn't had that happen, <laughs> <laughs> but I could see where it would be an issue. But I mean, would honestly, it? I don't know had, if it would or no, not. We've had some big, I mean, we've had, you know, 10 or 12 at a time on there, and it it'll stay hooked. The catfish but, are selfish. They'll never work it out amongst themselves. Yeah, they're yeah. like. They're <laughs> pulling against each other, yeah. and you can take your live view and <laughs> get back and look at it, and your line's going to have a little bow in it and come back up to them jugs. Hmm. And um, you just get there behind them rock docks, and they usually own it the next morning. Hmm. Bait's a big thing. What are you? What are you using? Uh, skipjack. Uh, is I'm a skipjack a, a wild guy. fish that lives in this river? Yes, skipjack. skipjack. It's just like a big, it's an oily fish, shiner. Or something. Yeah, exactly. It's oily. It's right behind these rock dikes. It's natural, and um, works great. I love bream. Yeah, bream. Yeah. It's according to time of year. It is. You know, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Springtime. I want them live. I want that live bait. Hook them right in the tail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, some of these old timers right here is me, and they're going they're skipjack all the way through, and they don't want to fool with live bait, mm. and they catch a lot. Yeah, yeah. There's several guys Man. up down this river I want to fish with it. <laughs> I just met some of them last year. Yeah. Well, we had on the Bear Grease podcast as a as a formal guest Bill Lancaster. I told you about. Oh him. yeah, yeah, from Greenville. Man, he's a he's a heck of a guy. If you go in the wildlife museum in leland mississippi uh he's he's got a whole section in that wildlife museum of all his it's just a bunch of pictures and a bunch of neat stuff but he's a cool guy he's a cool guy and we catch we're doing this vertical line fishing stuff a little bit but we we 90 percent pole fish pole fishing Mm -hmm. you want to reel them in yeah we fish we fish up and down this bank all up there behind these dikes um Sometimes we'll take the boat, you know, we fish out of the boat out there. We're still fishing the same spots, but it's kind of handy just to leave the house and go to these sandbars and yeah. set them up and go back, eat supper, go back, check them. Yeah. Works good. Man, I, I got to get, I, I want to come down here sometime and fish with you when it's good. And I know, so we were playing in a deer hunt, duck hunt, mm. and I'm going to let Jordan talk about the duck hunt, All but right. uh, we uh, <laughs> we kind of threw on the catfishing deal right. there at the end. Well, the so wind we knew, got it, wasn't, this we knew trip. it wasn't a perfect time at all. But now, Jordan, Jordan Lake. Mm. I was looking. I was looking at Lake and said, Jordan. Dang, I thought I was. They, gonna they get to look. Ro- I thought like. I was going to get the roasting. <laughs> well, yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't believe he was teeing you up for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been to be brutal. So, Lake, you work for Onyx. I do. Yep. You work for open season properties. You sell real yep. estate in yep. Mississippi. Yep. 
What else do you do with your life? I mean, that's where we could end it right there. I mean, those two things. Duck God. <sighs> if I was Duck God, <laughs> if I was Duck God, I would be filing for unemployment <laughs> after this last go round. But it's not your fault. In the his ducks defense, aren't here. in his it's defense, his we fault. scouted the same the same morning yeah, of the right. morning, and they was there. And Thank the next you, Mike. Day they were Thank not. you. Yeah, yeah. You're not, you're not supposed to help him. <laughs> well, so we get. I mean, yeah, it's mine on me too. You know, my group didn't kill either. So yeah. Mike's on the north side of this property. I'm on the south side. Before I'd even t- talk to Mike, I text y'all and I said, "Duck report." I think what I said is good, not great. Like yep. it wasn't yep. loaded, but I was like, "There's definitely enough here." And I go talk to Mike and Nick, and they're like, oh, yeah, man, they're here. And then we go out that next morning, and we all kind of look like fools there. I mean, we killed a duck, yep. a duck. We, <laughs> I was happy with that. We killed a bear, but Paul shot him, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was neat hunting down in this country. Mm-hmm. Man, it, it feels like, I, I know in Arkansas, which is further north than here, mm-hmm. the guys talk about how the ducks aren't coming as far south. It's taking them longer to get there. And down here, it's 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 a whole nother it's a whole nother deal. I mean, but still, you're getting some good mallard duck duck hunts in, down Typic- in here every year. Typically, it. I mean, where where we were at, obviously the Mississippi River and and all that, you know, floodplain alluvial valley is just historically good duck area. And uh, I mean, y'all see it. Y'all were on the river. It's just so low, and it's such a lack of water. Been warm, been dry, and it just. Just not down here. Historic lows on the Mississippi River, is that right? For sure. Mm-hmm. Historic lows. I mean, it's it's never been three foot uh, through hunting season since I've been here. Okay, I've talked about this before, and when you say three foot, describe to somebody who doesn't know that's what going the river off means. the Vicksburg gauge. So where is zero? Um, like what? Like what? At what reference point is zero? If it's three foot above something, what's zero? Does anybody the, know? Mm, I don't. No, I, I can't answer that. But it has to be off the a marker down there at Vicksburg Bridge. Yeah, so it, I, it does go into negatives. Well, yeah, so sure so. Okay, let me let me teach you boys something. <laughs> oh, I'm, come on. I'm deducing. <laughs> no, they must just have like a normal a normalcy that they decided was zero. And they just set it like this is normal flow of the river. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah, that sounds right. Sure, like, sounds sounds river right. experts. I've <laughs> come all the way to the Mississippi River to talk to the experts here, with just a little more confidence. I would have said that's exactly. Well, what I mean, it it's, is. I guess it's got to be <laughs> so here's because it's, it's yeah. Here's what I know. It's like you talk to these guys like like Mike that's on this property, and then at Cottonmouth, which is north of here. But all these guys that spend time on their particular property, they can tell you what river gauge like if they if they look at the vicksburg gauge for instance they know if i tell mike what's the river doing at 22 feet he can tell you yeah you know i mean because he knows what happens on that property with different levels well so i was looking at a map there's a big there's a big map in one of the rooms of this property on the wall and there's a legend like this is really cool because you wouldn't have this anywhere else Mm -hmm. there's a legend and then the legend it says at 22 feet (laughs) <laughs> this and this floods and it describes right. places on the property that are named at 30 feet this happens at 15 feet this happens at, and and you kind of i guess if you get to know a place you understand exactly what that river is going to do and so you've got this property along the river that you're managing and at different flood stages different sections are going to flood right. well you go to hunting it and stuff well you need to know if a road if you're close to your road going under and you've got five people and you're going north with them 
and you get there and the, you know you don't know that it's fixing to be over that road then you the whole morning is messed up for everybody yeah so you got to keep up with all that well i mean we experienced that this week when we were trying to get to an island so the property that you manage mike has a has a has an island in it correct the island in the mississippi river right which there are there are a lot of islands in the mississippi river even though they're all unique and really dynamic so we were going to go hunt the island and for the last four months you could drive to the island drive to, until two days before y'all one when y'all was here, we didn't even know that we couldn't get to it. We and, thought we could still get yeah, to it. Yeah, we had our bows, and we're going to drive over there and go hunting, and the river came up two feet yeah. just overnight, which two feet is I mean, a really bunch can't. out there because it spreads out because, you know, we got on that sandbar, and it just spreads out quick. And so it, it, it messed up our – we had to get a boat, and we ended up boating over to the island. You know – I, I spent some time in Alaska, well, just in December, but I was also there in, in uh, May. And the tide swings in southeast Alaska are some of the biggest tide swings in the world, like massive tides. So everywhere you go, you're constantly calculating for the tide. And those guys just have to be able to read it so that they don't get stranded or they don't kill themselves in some way with the tides low going through certain places you know like when the tides low there's going to be rocks in that little channel or right. when the tides high you could drive a big boat through there i'm this is like that same thing i'm just I'm, different scale but same thing yeah same problems yeah and just just the, like y'all though day y'all trying to get there and we thought you know they just y'all just drive around come back around a certain spot drop y'all off yep. and uh just like that everything went chaos yeah yeah but they got you handled. They got you on the water. And yeah, 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 they did. Yeah. Can that was kind of unexpected. That's kind of unexpected. A little, old, uh, you know, we wasn't planning was on getting a boat in the water or anything else. I mean, just, we got it done, though. The boys yeah. did. Oh, and it was it was funner taking that boat over there than oh, yeah. riding the four-wheeler. Wasn't it, Brent? Oh, Probably better hunting, shoot too. You. Brent, so I've spent uh, 250 miles with Brent as my... I was the on our boat, our vessel, which uh, I got to explain this. We've talked about this. Our boat, we named it Laura. <laughs> Do you know why, Jordan, we named it Laura? Oh, the iceberg. Close, close. What okay. Was, what was the, that? The, the ice sheet. Yeah. So the Laurentide ice sheet formed the upper part. Well, it formed the Mississippi River Valley. So naturally, we named our boat Laura. So Brent was the captain of Laura. I was the cub pilot. Okay, <laughs> and about fifty miles in, like 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 Samuel Clemens, mm-hmm. like you know, mm-hmm. Mark Twain. Uh, fifty miles in, I said, Brent, and, and I'm not an experienced riverman. Uh, the weakness, if you were just to pitch me out into the wilderness, I would probably like die in a river. Uh, but if I had to tame a horse or a mule and ride it across the mountains, I'm good. If I need to drive an ATV in extreme circumstances, I'm good. Um, if I need to walk or hike, I'm good. Boat is my biggest weakness in wilderness travel. 50 miles in, I say, Captain, I think it's time for Clay to take the wheel. And, I mean, I can drive a boat, but but not a lot of experience. And I pretty much drove the last 200 miles, did I not? You did. How'd I do? You did very well. You did. You really did. Until it's, it was time to load across that current. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I you saw that. that. <laughs> I don't uh, know if, uh, if 
I was going to say that, Mike. I appreciate you bringing that up. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm the first one. It, it was. Uh, it's different, isn't it? Oh, it's tough on. Well, so there's a lot of there's a lot of physics that goes into loading a boat in the current, and loading a big boat is. It's tough. So our boat, and it's then a, the cross current on top of that. Oh just, yeah, I chickened out. I chickened out. So I drove that boat two hundred miles down the river, passing barges. I mean, do, doing everything. And when we, I told them I'd, I've loaded a smaller boat in a in a trailer, but yeah, we had the nine mile per hour current going down the river, and then I had you and and the other two guys on the bank, and it was raining, and oh, yeah. I tried to hit it. And I got right up to it and chickened out and threw it in reverse. He had, <laughs> he had a good approach, though, didn't he? He did. It, it looked was, good right then, up to the and, end. And Brent was trying to make it like a teaching thing. He's like, now, come on, Clay. You're going to do I could tell he was like, this is a learning experience. You're going to do this. And I finally just said, Brent, get in this seat. Put this thing in the in the trailer. I'm, I'm, I'll learn another time when there's not 10 people standing here watching. Well, and cameras. And all yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a boat. I mean, good gosh, it's it ain't like uh, we're loading a John boat. This thing's 27 feet long. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen such. It's so yeah. nice. Big Sea Ark boat, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really Really neat. cool. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years. Made in the USA and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives, and the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. 
The old timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrels' ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there. And we are there in the South. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. I just wanted to, we were just talking about the river. I can't remember exactly what I was about to say, but when they were both. If it, I can tell you this, from being the captain, I didn't get to marry nobody on the way down as being a captain of the ship. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed about that. <laughs> but if this trip had been 251 miles, I think we would have made a, built a plank. And somebody would have been walking off of it. What do you think, Drew? <laughs> the, Definitely. The cub pilot. Mike, they get, they get mad at me because we'd be coming around a tight corner. So the Mississippi River, it, it, in, in places it's very wide. In places it's like surprisingly narrow. But they have the channels marked. And there's green buoys and red buoys. Red buoys are on the east side of the river. Green buoys are on the west side of the river and you got to keep your the the in between the buoys i'm describing this to mm-hmm. people who mm-hmm. wouldn't know which i would not have inside the buoys is maintained by the corps of engineers and it's dredged out so you're you're you have a guaranteed channel outside those buoys you got no guarantee of any channel at all On there could own. be obstructions there could be sandbars, sandbars there could be anything but in the main channel there could also be logs and obstructions that you got to constantly watch for so uh, this, I was going to tell you, they would get mad at me because we'd be coming in and, you know, come around a corner and all of a sudden there would be a huge barge. I mean, these things are like pushing like 80, 80 barges. I mean, it's like a massive boat in the water coming around a corner. And I would say, I guess you had a right to be mad at me. Think about it. What should I, what should I do? What, well, I, what should I do? Yeah, what happened, <laughs> Drew? Tell me. And Brett would say, I just told you what you should do, and you did the opposite. Why did you ask me what to do? He said, should I pass on <laughs> like the left? Like every hour. Should I pass <laughs> yeah. on the left or the right? I said, pass on the left. Well, why wouldn't I pass on the right? I said, just pass on the left. You got the room. That's the way. Let him have that side over there. Well, I think I should pass on. I said, well, you're driving. Just drive. But you need to make a decision. <laughs> do one or the other, but you need to do it now, right see, now. And what <laughs> Brett and I's relationship is so good because he helps me process through decision making and you feed the ulcer i have in my stomach <laughs> <laughs> but Thanks. we made it it was good you did you did really well man well it was, it was it was a lot of fun it really was a lot of fun um were you intimidated at all oh yeah absolutely there, there's a lot of folks i mean because there's some Stories that come up about people putting in boats on that river, man. And there's, I mean, yeah, I would be intimidated. <laughs> Shoot, <Yeah. laughs> just like what I said today. When when she's grumpy, 
Don't mess with her. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah. When you said that today, I thought, man, that's a, that's a great way to. The first uh, time I ever got out on the main Mississippi River Channel, it scared me to death. Yeah. Really? I was 21 years old, just started guiding at a place down south, in, or right at Natchez. And uh, we were going to take hunters out. And I had no idea. I never experienced Mississippi River bottom in my life. But I was so excited to be there. And uh, had a deer stand right on the river. And the best way to get to it was by the river. And the head guide over there sent me and another boy, didn't know what he's doing, out in a 16-foot John boat with 25 horsepower uh, little Kawasaki or something on it. Mm. Said, y'all go around the point down there. You'll see the, the flag and I put it on the riverbank. We come out to this point. And there's barges and currents and whirlpools, and I'm like, mm. oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, we, I mean, we made it, but I was scared to death. Yeah. <clears throat> well, there's – yeah, I mean, that – so we had this idea to do this trip. We were going to try to do it in warmer weather, but we had to delay. And so we came back when it was super cold, and uh, which ended up not being the limiting factor. I mean, we were cold, but it, that – we had a we had a semi covered uh, deck that kept us fairly warm, but we were just decked out with warm weather clothes. Ended up being a nine hour trip, two hundred fifty miles, and we uh, we when I <laughs> we we put in at Memphis within sight of the Bass Pro Pyramid at Memphis at the bridge. Yep. And uh, yeah, those first few miles, w- we didn't know how long it would take. We didn't know. I mean, there was just uncountable variables, and uh, it was absolutely intimidating. Yeah, but that's why we did it. I suppose. I mean, it's it's it was just yeah. Like I said, we could have drove here, but when we did this series on the Mississippi River Mm -hmm. back in the spring, Mm -hmm. back in the summer, um, that's when I had the thought that I wanted to go down the river. I just wanted to go down. I wanted to see it, and uh, the truth is, is that the way the river looks today. It's it's definitely different than when Davy Crockett, you know, Davy Crockett wrecked a boat just south of Memphis and nearly I, died. I heard about um, that. Heard about that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, all these famous people. I mean, anybody in American history that has done anything has been down the Mississippi River. And I wanted to see it. And, and honestly, today it looks about like it did then. Mm. I mean, you just can't. What I was most struck by when I was on the river, and and I knew this, but then I saw it, is that there are no Cities don't come to the edge of the river in that span. From Memphis Hmm. to Vicksburg, there are no cities to speak of. And and by cities, I mean you can, if if there were, uh, I mean, it's it's woods. What Mm -hmm. you're seeing is woods. Mm -hmm. We did see the Tunica Casino that stood up above the tree line, Um, and then you would see uh, loading docks, you know, where they were loading barges and stuff. And you'd see the odd, well, you'd see river camps once you got, well, all down through there, you would occasionally see river camps, and there'd be clusters of them around cities, because the cities are outside the levees, so you mm-hmm. can't see them. But, I mean, I I just, it, it was, I, I wouldn't have thought, or I just never thought it through that the river looks about like it did when Mark Twain was running down it as a cub pilot like me. <laughs> <laughs> How many other boats did y'all see? That it, I'm glad you asked that. We saw one pleasure craft and two two pleasure crafts in 250 miles. Wow! Um, no joke. We kept track. We saw two people. Now we saw how many barges did we think we passed? 
Oh, we had a guess. 30? I think we said we figured we passed. I think it was around probably between thirty and forty barges yeah. in a two hundred and fifty mile stretch of nine hours on the water. We saw two civilian, just like pleasure crafts, just like guys on a John boat. Wow. Two. 250 miles. Now, we were there in January, which was, you know, not a lot of people out on it's the It's the off-season. It's cold. It's the off-season. <laughs> no skiers, huh? No. no didn't skiers. see any skiers. <laughs> but, uh, but, so anyway. An incredible trip, though. Spending the night on the on the island. and Yeah. It was, it was, it was really, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah, Drew, we just camped you sleep? Uh, so, Isaac and I slept in the boat, and we were way back up this back channel and how far up back up that back quarter mile or quarter mile up a back channel and uh isaac and i were sleeping in the boat and it's just crazy that you could feel the waves from the barges a quarter mile up a back channel like rocking be glad y'all found that the back boat. channel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you had to so, check so your impressive. boat and make sure your water hadn't come over the back yeah. of your motor and yeah. fill it up and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really and glad. And then the boat, the water table rose in the night. Yeah, and that, that uh, yeah, the water table rose in the night and the, the barges slowed down and didn't come through from probably midnight until 5. And then at 5 in the morning, the barges started coming through. And then the boat just kept rocking and rocking. You'd feel as the barges increased, the boat would uh, continue to rock. So yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. I was really glad y'all slept in the boat. Yeah, Brent, me and Brent slept in tents on the bank. And he said, I'm glad those boys are sleeping in that boat. And I said, why? And he said. In case it floats off, they can drive it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well spoken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like. That's why I brought you, Captain. <laughs> hey, let's uh, let's talk about this podcast. So everybody got to listen to it. Mike, you listened to your first podcast today. First podcast. I loved it. <laughs> really I'm, neat. I'm very honored that the you Bear Grease podcast <laughs> was, a, was the first one you ever listened to. Um, now, this was a unique one. Usually, we, we've done a lot of, we've done multiple series on wildlife violators and violations we did the Lou Dell and Charlie series Mm -hmm. which was one of my favorites of all time about two guys that are have passed away that were notorious turkey hunting poachers from my hometown and near Mena Arkansas but they were beloved people in our community and I interviewed family members to all kind of different people about these guys and told a story about their life really interesting but I didn't talk to them. Mm. We did a big series called Secret Agent Man where I interviewed an undercover wildlife agent from Ohio that worked undercover for years and years, and he just had the wildest stories you could ever dream of. Oh, I bet he did undercover. Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't talk to – we didn't talk to – we ended up talking to one of the people that he was after. But this one was unique because I was talking to the guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I, I thought it was, I, I said it over and over in the podcast, maybe to a point of redundancy, but where I was trying to be like, Donnie didn't have to tell us this story. Mm-hmm. He could have said, no thanks, Clay. I think I'll pass on reliving one of the worst period times in his life, you know, when he got caught for this. But what, uh, well... Let me back up. 
I also was very concerned about um, when I did the interview with him, I told him I wasn't even sure if I could use it. Hmm. I talked to him for two hours. Y'all heard 27 minutes of the interview. So by the time it was whittled down, you heard 27 minutes. I talked to him for two hours that we recorded. And I told him, I said, I don't know if we can use this or not. And and it was because I, I didn't want it to, uh, I didn't want to hurt this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't, I wanted, I wanted him to tell a story. I wanted us to learn something from it. I learned a ton of stuff from just hearing people's stories. I mean, we all do. Right. Whether we know it or not. I mean, like stories are so powerful to, you know, just every arena of life. But I was, uh, I didn't, I didn't want him to be, you know, have to go through the ringer again for something he's already paid for. But the main reason that I could talk to Donnie was that first time I talked to him, I, I, I said I smelled a whiff of genuineness, contriteness, and just he, he was humble. And I thought that was, I thought that was unique. And he did a, such a good job of telling the story. And uh, I thought it was fascinating. Hell, I wanted to meet him after I listened to it. <laughs> did you? you yeah. So you, you, yeah, what did you feel like after? You, you Did you like the guy? Did I you, liked him. I mean, I, I, like I said, genuine, you could hear that in his voice. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't trying to hide nothing. He just spoke it out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to meet him. Yeah. Well, Brent, what stood out to you in the podcast? He talked when he talked about his dad. Yeah, when, and when you talked to when he went back in the house, and, and you talked to his dad, and that that almost I mean, kind of made me kind of misty eyed thinking about a father's love for a son who has made a terrible mistake, and that but he's standing beside him and he can see all the pain that that kid's going through. There's nothing he can do to help him, and he and and it was very prophetic when. He showed his dad that deer, and his dad says, "Son, that's an awful big deer, not to shoot or not to get the right way." Yeah, and he—I mean, it was almost like you know, this is this ain't gonna end well. Yeah, but it's your son, you know, and <clears throat> so that's that stood out to me. You know, it made me think about my kids, made me think about the times that I, I've disappointed my dad, and I, I would, I would say that that was probably. That would rank near the top of the things that bothered Donnie about anything is knowing that he, his dad was disappointed in him. Mm-hmm. And I just I couldn't get away from that. There were several other things that that really says, said something to me. But You, that, that, you said that, something that, to me when we listened to it together. Mm-hmm. You said you thought, so Brent's 32 years background in law enforcement. Um. You said you didn't think they had enough evidence on him to really prosecute him. I don't think they did. That's shocking to me. Well, judging from just from how the investigation went about. Why? If if I'm going to talk to somebody, it's to get get more information. If I got enough to arrest him, I'm going to arrest him right then. I've already I've taken all the in in all the facts that I need to the prosecuting attorney's office and they've sworn I'll judge. But, but and, uh, okay, so if they if they knew <clears throat> they had the evidence, 
to prosecute him in court and they arrested him, what would they have done with him? Put him in jail until the court date? No, well, I mean, on a game violation, no. I'm sure that it's a misdemeanor. So what would they have done then? Issued him a citation. Just just wrote him a citation? Yeah, unless, you know, there's here's another thing in this deal. It, it was on a on a federal, it was on an army base. Yeah. So there's some federal laws there that I'm not familiar with that, that may have been the a um, mitigating factor in all that. Right, but I just just from listening to it, it just made me say out loud: if if they're wanting to talk to him, they're wanting to talk to him. And say, hey, this is the information we got. We think this is what's Brent, going on. You told me I've heard you talk before about talking to people, like talking to people that are uh, assumed to have committed a crime. Yeah, and what do you say? They, if you will give them the opportunity, they'll tell them themselves. Somebody that's not not a sociopath, but some uh, uh, just, sociopath being someone who has no remorse for doing something. wrong. Correct. They see nothing wrong with what they're doing. Anything they choose to do. So if somebody has guilt, somebody has is, guilt. Somebody who has has knows the difference in right and wrong, and does something wrong. You, if you give them the opportunity, they'll tell on themselves because they want to unburden. It's a burden. It's something that they're they're holding. And that, I mean, Donnie said it himself. He laid his hand on the biggest deer he will ever lay his hands on, probably. And he said he didn't feel good about it. He's like, I'll never get away with this. Well, I'll never get it. He knows he did something wrong. And he said in, later on in the, in the story, he told you, he said when he finally told the agents, he felt better. He said it was a burden that lifted off. Yeah. Which is not... Not surprising, mm -hmm. but it's interesting the way you said that. If you're not a sociopath, so if you don't have some wild mechanism that makes you not feel remorse right. for something, right? You want to get rid of that guilt. Yeah, he he took he he made a choice. I don't agree with terminology about somebody made a mistake. Making a mistake is putting two cups of flour in a recipe that calls for one. That's a mistake. Walk getting out of your truck. And taking a bow and arrow and purposely going and shooting a deer where you know you're not supposed to, that's a violation. That's breaking the law. That's doing something that you're not supposed to do. That don't mean it's that you can't get over it. That don't mean that you can't atone for it. I'm not saying that at all. But I don't. It, that's not a mistake. He, he did that on purpose. Yeah. yeah but yeah. would I sit down and have a cup of coffee with him? You bet I would. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Golly, that that's all really interesting. What would you do to someone to make them talk? How would you how would you handle somebody that you know? Because see, they knew he did it. They didn't have evidence that he did. That's it. what I'm. That, and that's what I meant. You know, I mean, that's what but I. But there's said no way that he could have. I one time, uh, <laughs> my mind is going a hundred different directions. Well, I know. If he'd had a really good lawyer, you think he could have got out of it? Doubtful because too many people saw the deer. One time I was with a guy. This is where my mind sidetracked. One time I was with a guy in Arkansas, and something happened, and uh, it was kind of his fault. But I would have been entangled in it just because I was with him. And I said, "Hey, bro, you sure we should be doing this?" And it, and he said, uh, "He said, Clay, if they come after you, I will get the baddest lawyer in Mississippi." <laughs> to defend you and i was like wait a minute mississippi why mississippi we were in arkansas and the dude's not even from mississippi i never forgot that there must be some good lawyers in mississippi because he said 
I'll get the baddest lawyer in Mississippi. <laughs> Luckily, we didn't have to go there. Well, the Carry th- on, Brent. Could he have got out of it? Man, I don't know. It goes back to the old adage that, that's attributed to Benjamin Franklin that three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. <laughs> so there's no way he could have kept that, that deer a secret. Yeah. And, and he yeah. didn't. You know, he showed his cousin. He's like, oh, okay, here's his uh, yeah. This is what I did. Yeah. Then he gets over to his cousin's house, and there's what, two hundred people he's, there. Yeah, he said there was just a wad of people there. So I mean, it's the jig is up right then. What I what was interesting too is that he he knew from the very beginning. He said as soon as he shot and saw the deer, he he said he said there's no way I'm going to get away with this. Yeah. Wish he wouldn't have done it right then. Yeah, but then but he just kept. It just kept getting worse. Kept getting worse. Like he just. How kept... far was his house from where they'd been seeing the deer? Um, a good ways, thirty, forty miles. Oh, okay. worse. So that didn't. So when he when he killed the deer and the guys had trail camera pictures of it on Fort Leonard Wood, and he said he'd killed it. Right. That's what I was wondering. That it may have only been twenty five <clears throat> miles. Yeah, but still, that's. But it was. They knew that deer just didn't uh, <laughs> go twenty five miles real quick. Yeah. 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 For sure. What what do you think, Jordan? And uh, the biggest part that stood out to me that I could relate with, far as what today's society is, is the validation part. Mm-hmm. I I don't remember it was either you or him talking about you know a big reason why he wanted to shoot the deer or whatever because well, kind of, oh, kind of yeah. put the puzzle pieces together like. You know, owns a bow shop. You know, if he kills big old deer, you know, yeah. it gives me more validation for my what I do for a living. And yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just a cycle that keeps on going from there. And I think that was a huge part why he probably did it. You know, it was a validation yeah. of you know, not that you want to beat your chest, but I mean, we all hunt, want to kill a big buck, and when we do, yeah. you know, you want to show people. Sure. And, yeah. You know, that's a that's a, that's that'll get you in trouble, is what I'm saying. And I think yeah. that's a big part of what why he did it. Yeah. And he was 26 years old. Yeah, you I mean, want, you want not to, that, not prove that, to these old guys, you know, whatever, you know, I, I can kill these big deer too, just like y'all can. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whenever I look at pictures of my kids from the past year or even just a few months ago, I'm so amazed at how fast they're growing up. And then it hits me hard. I'm getting older too. That's why planning for my family's financial security has become a top priority. Making sure we're prepared and having enough life insurance in case something unexpected happens and I'm out of the picture is crucial. And Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to get the protection that's right for your family. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents and for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com bear. That's M-E-E-T fabric.com slash bear meetfabric.com slash bear policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions ready to win mother's day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family give the moms in your life an aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos 
You'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating Mom's Frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura Frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high-quality the Aura Frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years. Made in the USA and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives, and the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. It was a unique set of circumstances that, I mean... I, I think I said it was a one, two, three judo kick of him having a bow in his truck, him having uh, it being season, which he wasn't willing to kill it out of season, but then having that deer right there, and it just like it just broke him. But like, what do you think? What what just what it stood flung, out to you? Flung a craving on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which would happen to a lot of people if they're going to be honest about it. Sure. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, at least think about it. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I don't know anybody sitting in this room that saw two hundred inch deer thirty yards off the road. It wouldn't at least think about it. Yeah. Going to be know? hitting the brakes <laughs> and looking. <Yeah. laughs> hey, what you what do you think about the the dollar value analogy? Do you remember? No, I mean, that's well, but one twenty five versus two hundred incher. Yep, that made sense. Uh, yeah. Say what? Say what was on the podcast? You remember? Basically, you were you know, take that same deer that's thirty yards off the road in a ditch, and you can be like, that's a killable deer right there, and he's a hundred and twenty five inch eight point, good solid eight point, but that might not make somebody break their morals. Right. You turn that deer into two hundred inch, like it. It truly, it sounds cliche, but a truly once in a lifetime deer, that's a little bit more of a. A little bit more waving out, you know, temptation waving in front of your face. Mm-hmm. And but but then I use the analogy of that the hundred and twenty five inch buck would be like a hundred dollar bill laying mm-hmm. on the table. That's not yours. That you could take, but it's not yours. Mm-hmm. A two hundred inch deer, and I want to hear if y'all think this is the right 
monetary equivalents. A 200-inch deer would be like having $100,000 cash on the table. When you were, exactly. when that was coming out of your mouth, I thought he's going to say a million dollars. And when you said 100000 I thought that's perfect. Because in, in the white, it's, it's it, you know, you kind of got to be in the moment. But in right. the whitetail world, you know, 125-inch deer versus a 200-inch deer is about like a hundred dollar bill versus a hundred thousand. Yeah, a life changing amount. Yeah, most of us yeah. never see a two hundred inch deer. Yeah. yeah, you know. Have you ever seen one? No, not not just out. No, sir. Mister Thad, have you seen one? We've got a we've got a guest here that's not on the mic. You probably seen a two hundred inch deer. He hunts yeah. lots of places. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we got one guy here that's seen a two hundred inch deer. I've seen close to a two hundred inch deer. I have not. I can assure you. I have not either. Yeah, I, I have not either. By close, I mean like. Inside of, you know, one four twenty. I could, I, I could, I could I th- I've seen one that I could say I'd say he was one hundred and eighty inches. I'd be comfortable saying that. Yeah. But not not a two hundred. That's different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You seen a two hundred inch deer? Yes, sir. Have you? Yeah, I actually hunted one for like five years and ended up killing him last year, but he was not two hundred anymore. Oh, for real? <laughs> you killed the big one last year? <laughs> what did it score when you killed? Oh, uh, one sixty five. And at one time, it was a 200-inch deer. Yeah, we first saw him, I think, in 2017, and he was well over that. No way. And uh, guy, this is in Kansas, and hmm. guy hunt with up there actually shot at him a couple times at your rifle and missed him. And next year, he got missed again, and then he disappeared for a couple of years, and then last year, ended up killing him. I didn't put all the puzzle pieces together until later on. The neighbor had been getting pictures of him for like the last three years. Hmm. So... Okay, so you've seen one. Drew, have you seen a 200-inch deer? Not even close. Are you a new hunter, Drew? Uh, no, not a new hunter. Okay. for a long time. Okay. But okay. not a definitely not a professional hunter. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think about the podcast? I thought it was awesome. I mean, I, yeah, I guess I genuinely. What stood out I, to you? I genuinely felt bad for him, but, mm. like, I don't know, the whole bullets and arrows deal, like, once they're released, you can't take them back. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a major bummer what what happened to them, and I can definitely understand, like Jordan, you're saying, getting out of the truck and maybe making a foolish walk, but then once once it's gone, it's yeah. gone, and then how you act afterwards, like I think the story could be potentially drastically changed if he it's like, hey man, that was a bad deal and just turned himself in right away you know i, mean, I, think I wonder could... if how different it would have been if he'd have done that because yeah. that never happens i don't know the outcome but i mean that's what you're i mean that's technically what you're supposed people, to do people that make mistakes kind of by accident will turn themselves in i mean we all probably in this room know someone that's done something on accident and then been like oh man i made a mistake call the game warden and turn themselves in. Nobody that commits an egregious wildlife crime, I mean, that I know of, is going to poach a 200-inch deer on a military base and then immediately... That would be like best-case scenario. It's interesting yeah. why they... Yeah, he could have he could have skipped a lot if he did just... I mean, just go down the rabbit. I mean, the more... Like, it, like he was saying, all right, started bringing people into this that didn't even want to be a part of it. Yeah. So his actions hurt a, a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um did uh did anything 
did anything surprise anybody about about I don't know what what stood out to you? Did you think he was gonna? Did you have when you knew he this guy killed the deer? Did you project how he was gonna kill it? Did you like? Were you surprised when you heard how it rolled out? Oh, I was. I, the y- yeah, I mean because I mean I thought he was gonna. It just seemed like where how he ended up killing it. I was like, it sounded like, dude, you're lucky you got away with it for as long as you did, because it sounded like it was just very, you know, yeah. viewable for other people to see. Yeah. When he talks about those other people pulling into the parking lot and him hiding in the woods and all that. Yeah. And, but that was surprising to me. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to hide 200 inches <laughs> horn laying out there in the yeah. park. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mike, what stood out to you? Just in the whole thing, like what if you were down at the gas station tomorrow telling somebody about this, what would you say? Uh, that, that's a tough question because the gas station's way there's like no gas station. Yeah, <laughs> that's a bad analogy. I like I, I like the part that he was humble. I believe he meant every word he said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think he knew he made a mistake from the start. Yeah, I think he probably got nervous and did you know did the line on you know where he killed it and all that, which that didn't wasn't good. Yeah. But uh I think he realized it real quick. Yeah. Do I think the guy's a poacher or an outlaw? No. Do I think he got caught up in the moment? I mean, you're looking at that two hundred inch deer and you're giving bow lessons and everything else and you're kind of the guy around there like Jordan said. Yeah. I can see to where it would make you want to think about it. Yeah. Clay. Didn't you kill a giant like a ginormous deer one time? I mean well, Jordan, I'm glad you brought you back. <laughs> well, and I, I I killed it. the biggest deer I ever killed is 169 inches. Well, didn't it like like set your like career like yeah got articles and stuff like that yep. wrote about you about it so yep, you can kind of understand the validation part of it like it exactly you know that's kind of where I was going with that like it could potentially change his whole business or life or right. whatever you know right or what yeah. he was doing for a living yeah yeah it absolutely could have it absolutely could have. Uh, if you got away with it, if you got away with it, well, and then and then in the podcast we talked about how you know cheating that cheating the system really just messes you up in the future. You know, I mean, I didn't feel like he was really a cheater as much as I mean, I felt like after he done it, he felt like that. But on a normal day, I felt like that guy was straight up, probably. Yeah, just got caught up in the moment. Well, and and so that that brings up this whole thing that I kind of wanted to explore outside of just this guy committing a crime is how as a society do we handle people that mess up? Because I think, especially with the in the advent of the internet in the last 15 years, I mean, if you read that story, if you read the headline on Meat Eater or Outdoor Life that said, Man kills, illegally kills, 200-inch whitetail on Fort Leonard Wood. Like, you're immediately going to think, poacher? This is what I'm going to think. I'm going to think, poacher? Throw the book at it. Throw the book at it. Which, I mean, I I think they should have done that with Donnie. I mean, like, just because you're a nice guy doesn't mean you get off. Right. There's still consequences. Yeah. That's right. But what, what I... What's so wild about sitting across from somebody like Donnie is you see the context that that happened in. And the second episode is going to get way into 
the context of his life, which actually has nothing to do with the deer. Like he, he told me the deer story. And then I asked him a question. I said, Donnie, why, why did you tell me this story? I'm kind of foreshadowing what's going to happen. And he said, Clay, he said, this deer thing is really a pretty small piece of what's happened to me in the last 10 years. And he started talking about stuff that doesn't have to do with a government agency penalizing you just in his life. And it's just interesting. And so to me, it's like everything that you happen, when you're dealing with a human, you're dealing with a context of circumstances that you, most people don't have access to see. And again, that that doesn't justify someone breaking the law. But when I talk to Donnie, my, my instinct, especially with someone that's humble, that's doing what he's doing is to have empathy for him, you know, but when I read it on the headline of Meat Eater, I don't. And it's like, wait a minute. Perception. How's that? How's this work? I mean, and so that's why we toyed around with the words at the end. You know, a guy's a poacher. You know, if you break the law, if you break the law one time, then I'm a poacher. And Lake, you're probably a poacher. I mean, we've all, anybody that's hunted very much or done anything very much has broken a law. Maybe not, maybe not on purpose, maybe on purpose, but we throw these stigmas around like so hard. Like if somebody does something, it's just like poacher, whole life, never, you know, how do you crawl out of it? And that's why I was talking about with my wife, um, I, I, we talked about how as a society do we, do we handle people? Who do we forgive? And, and who do we, who do we allow a second chance? Because there's people that we don't. Very and, uh, much. When I kind of figured out he was, I felt like he was all right. Guys, is when he, the part about him being in church and the preacher talking about it. He yeah. said that was the toughest part on him, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. That kind of lets you know that he's real. What? Yeah. What got yeah. me? First was, of all, he's in church. Yeah. You know, and then. Yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. the preacher announces that in front of everybody. You know, and you didn't do it right. You know, it's got to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Facing everybody. Yeah. What got me was I've heard you know poaching and wildlife violation stories before and and typically you know you get the sense the guy's like yeah i really kind of was off the you know doing all this stuff and finally got caught my life changed it's the best thing that ever happened to me and now i'm this way this guy seemed like he was a good genuine honest guy did something wrong and he was a good genuine honest guy afterwards like his the the character about him didn't change yeah 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 i also brent brent and drew asked me today when we listened to it about uh, two times in the podcast I said I don't have 20 years of experience with this guy you know I I said I I met this guy 30 minutes before I started talking to him and he told me a story and I don't have a big experience And, and, and kind of from a sense of being honest inside of being a journalist essentially I, I wanted to say, I think this guy's telling me the truth. I think this guy has changed. I think this, I don't think he would do that. Well, I know he wouldn't do it again. And I wanted to say, I think this is a good guy. He has Clay Newcomb's stamp of approval. Donnie Baker does. Um, but I also wanted to be responsible with that endorsement and say, I don't know this guy. Only he really knows. Um, did, did you... Who was it? It was you that were you the one that was saying that you thought that was a little sketchy of me to do that? 
Do you remember uh, what you said, Drew? You said it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we talked about it, and yeah, I mean, I think, he, I mean, he's the only one that's going to know for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of just trying to say, uh, I I don't know. I was just trying to be honest about it, you know, and uh, uh, because if I if I knew if I knew Brent for twenty years, it's like I could go. This guy's different. I was just saying, man, I think this guy's different, and I do. I absolutely do, but. Uh, but I, I'm looking forward to the to the next episode. It's going to be interesting, Me and too. and you're going to learn what they did to him. Yeah, that's what I'm interested in knowing. And I'm not gonna. You're not. You, look at these eyes. Like, mm. am I giving away anything? You you cliff hung us a little bit there. Am I a poker face? He's very poker faced. Are they gonna? Are they, okay? Let me ask you this, Brent. Don't answer because I think you know. Are they gonna? What are they gonna do to him? Any any ideas? If I had to, probably going to take his hunting license away, take his you know all his weapons and stuff. I didn't, and probably big fine, and probably I mean yeah probably I would guess somewhere in there it'd be hunting privileges taken away for a long time. Okay, that federal being on the air base and all that just changes everything. I don't yeah. really know what they're to expect. Can't wait yeah. to find out. Yeah, Drew, what do you think they're going to do to him? I mean, I would think same as Lake. Plus, plus a bit more because the airbase. Mm. I don't think it's anything outstandingly crazy. I think the public humiliation. There you go. Is mm. his punishment? I mean, he's obviously going to get fines and some other little stuff, but I don't think he served any jail time or anything like that. But I think the public just getting the, embarrassed that, over everything. Well, and, okay, and that brings up a point, a question that I ask on the podcast is that. To us that are deer hunters, killing a 200-inch deer is a big deal. Mm -hmm. What if he had poached a basket rack eight-point? Nobody would care. It, it, yeah, it just wouldn't make near the ripple. We wouldn't be doing a podcast about mm -mm. it. Or shot too or, many or, or what if I said... <laughs> I like that $100 and $100,000 pile. What if know? I said, hey, a guy killed a deer on Fort Leonard Wood, basket rack eight-point, he snuck it out of the base and said he killed it at his house and got caught. But that was the story. And I said, what do you think they're going to do to him? Oh, yeah. If you I mean, put it in that terminology. I mean, because I mean, that's yeah. what happened. It's kind of interesting because, like, what what about, you know, a couple more inches of bone I'm touching Brent's deer head there? It really shouldn't makes be no it different. different. The, I mean, the law is not based on how what size the deer is. That's exactly right. Well, today it is. In a lot of places. Like inches? Yeah. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It, it, we're going to talk about it more on the next episode. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's there's trophy finds now. So if you kill a deer, and that's what I was kind of exploring. I was like, is that is that okay? Is But, oh, yeah. If you kill a 200-inch deer today. Now, in 2009 when this happened, I don't think that was as common. But there is a difference by the law. Hmm. <laughs> Okay. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, it kind of makes sense to me. I mean, going off of the compare, I mean, back to the comparison you made. I mean, it, it's just. It's right. But the uh, but it's yeah, interesting it because the only sense. thing that gives that deer value is just the cultural value that we as a society society of deer hunters. I mean, you take that rack into some place where nobody knows anything about deer, and you set that one next to a great big one, and go, which one do you, do you want? Which one do you think is pretty? <laughs> they might go, golly, that one's ugly and big. I, I like yeah, this exactly. little one that 
you know, looks you know, symmetrical. I can hang a lot of hats on like that. They, right. My point is is that it's totally um, human human subjectiveness and this idea of beauty that we've created around a whitetail rack that then makes the punishment. It's just interesting to think about. It is. I think, it is, I think it's interesting. Hmm. And, you know, the other question I asked about on the podcast that was just a rhetorical question was intent. Does intent matter? Like if he, Mike, if he had two months before been like, I'm going to sneak into that cantonment area and I'm going to put up a tree stand and I'm going to kill that deer with a thermal, which they didn't have them probably to the public back in 2009. <laughs> but why is that different than him having an impulsive shot? I liked it when he said it, it was like when you're a kid and you shoot a bird and you kind of wish you hadn't done it. <laughs> But yeah, so intent. Why does intent matter? I think it's like just getting caught up in the moment. You know, I mean, a lot of times. But why does it matter with the law, though? Well, the difference is like I'm thinking about like calling you a bunch of bad names or whatever, and thinking about it for a long time, or we just get in an argument and I just say <laughs> like, you know, what I mean, like I just if I if I shout study, shout out like real quick and it's like it's just it's impulsive, just yeah. impulsive. The only difference is I can say I'm sorry to you where that arrow, it's it's gone. There's no taking yeah. it back. If yeah. me yeah. and you are driving down the Mississippi River and you run over a buoy by going left when I told you to go right and I kill you, that's impulse. If I think <laughs> about it, 250 miles, think about killing you and just finally do it at the <laughs> 249th mile when I was actually thinking about it, that is intent. That's malice. I know, but why does it matter? Time. I don't Clay think has the passed fine. away in both of these. I don't think the fine probably no different. I mean, it's doing the same thing. It's just, right. you know, he thought about it a little longer. Well, okay. Something else I just thought about, too, on the regret of doing it standpoint. If you really, really regretted doing it once you did it, you still went ahead and tried to hide it. Yeah. That's right. You know? That's, instead of just saying, calling the MP and saying, man, I just, I made a huge mistake yeah. or I messed up. Yeah. But how yeah. many people would do that, though? Right. I mean, that, I mean I'm mean, i not I'm not I'm, saying you're wrong. But yeah, like you, but people already be, told that lie. You're going to ride it out. Because right. I mean, when that guy was telling that story and he talked about releasing the arrow and it hit, I mean, like, I could almost feel the weight of it. Yeah. Of just being like, can you imagine me like, what in the world did I just do? Yeah. And he had that's, to have been terrified. That's, that's a heck of a shot. Yeah. I think he knew he did the wrong thing when he let go. Yeah. Oh. It's like Opie when he shot that bird. Nightmare. That's why we call this nightmare. Nightmare. Going back to the 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 intent thing, intent does matter in the law because mm-hmm. think about manslaughter. Uh, 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 w- w- what is it? First degree. What am I ta- thinking about? Premeditated, uh, in, Who knows? In, in, involunt, involunt, <laughs> involuntary manslaughter. Right. A guy go to prison for five or ten years, um, or not. Uh, murder one, as they call it, That's the big in the one. pen. Is it's like I'm gonna what I'm going to man. kill you. That would be like <laughs> Brent got, thinking in Memphis that he was gonna try to bump me out of the boat. You yeah. get like the capital crimes. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean it does matter. So yeah. if you if you kill if you killed someone in an imp- by accident in a fist fight is different than if you went to their house to and, beat I mean, them. To you death. were talking about wild stuff yeah. here, but intent, intent matters. Yeah, premeditated. 
But it, it's just interesting to think about why does intent matter. And intent matters all the time in every single area of our life. When I deal with my kids, they may knock a cup over and spill stuff all over the couch. I am calculating intent intuitively, instinctively, and immediately of where they messing around and do, you know wrestling with their brother or sister and knock it over. Or was it just a genuine error, just a just a bumble, and and I would handle that different. I would handle. Uh, I mean, we, we're we're constantly understanding intent because people are constantly doing us wrong. I mean, like if you're friends with some human relationship means that you have to. I mean, with a husband and wife, with a boat captain and a cub boat captain. <laughs> Like uh, today, Lake took me out in the cold, wet mud. Was that? Did he have a tent of making me miserable, or is it just yeah. just happened when he went out? When he went out looking for the ducks that weren't there. If it was my intent, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, all all this stuff is interesting, and uh, well, it's been good to have everybody. Man, I was I really intended to like. Oh, okay, you got to tell us one story, Drew. You got to tell us about your jump, that the photo that made the cover of the. We're we're, we're changing gears here to wind her down. Okay, I won't know this too. Okay, tell me about the ski jump. So the other day, so I just met Drew. I met Drew like an hour before we got on the Mississippi River. Right. <laughs> it was pretty good. We were like in go mode. So usually there's some pleasantries amongst people when you first meet each other. Me and Drew were just like, it's all business. <laughs> And oddly we, enough, we, his wife and I work together at Onyx. That's right. Your wife works at Onyx. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you get free prime or uh, elite, elite membership? membership yeah. Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> I know a guy. Lake, can you hook him up? Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. So tell me about the ski jump. Tell me like okay. the whole story. Yeah. So the whole story. So I grew up ski racing in Sun Valley, Idaho, and then I uh, got out of ski racing. Um young probably at like 14 or 15 and then uh started doing the extreme uh skiing tour and did like a circuit around the west and um when we were in college there's loveland pass in colorado which is a big um big mountain pass and my buddy and i griffin post who's a world famous skier still skis for tgr and stuff all around the world um we don't know what tgr is it's a teton gravity research it's a ski movie company did y'all know what that was no idea i, I knew no y'all idea. did oh, yeah. down south, i got so. a tattoo that yeah <laughs> all, I, all i know is like watching the slalom or whatever they call it in the olympics this is like this is like this <laughs> is like that with, man. but with like semi-trucks <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to um build a jump and jump over this highway and so it's 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 a mountain just envision a, a very steep snow-covered mountainside with a with a two-lane highway like cut into the bank kind of going around that yep. rim of this mountain yep. yeah yeah well right over right over the top a mountain pass okay okay and so we built this jump right above the how highway do you build a snow jump just pack snow just grab shovels and start how big was the jump probably about 10 feet if you say on the how bottom long did it take it? you to build it like weekend i mean a weekend so, like yeah. what does that mean eight hour work day yeah probably taking eight, lunch breaks probably, yeah 
Probably 16 hours. 15 minute break every two hours. Yeah. 16 hours. (laughs) 16 hours. Okay. I I get that. All right. 16 hours. Yeah. So shovel on and then grooming in the in run and um, it hadn't really grooming. In run. Like Jordan, tell him what that is. Oh, in run. Uh, That's uh, where you land. (laughs) I thought because Jordan likes slob skin he <laughs> would the land. Was that right? Is that what it is? No, the end run uh, is where you, you, you build up to, to hit oh, the jump I was really uh, hoping Jordan was right I'm so, He said the end of the run uh, <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense Okay, so, so 10, 10 foot jump on the edge of a highway Yeah And so we basically you See how built, he said, yeah Like as if that <laughs> yeah. would be normal it's like, yeah. Yeah. So we built the jump and deemed that it was not safe because there wasn't very good snow. <laughs> That's what on, on the That's land, what on, the, on the landing. So we waited an entire month for there to be more snow. And so you got to have good. You can't have. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I'm not that sorry. Good snow. Okay, we're from so the south. Everybody here, people in the south, youth. it would be <laughs> if there's bad snow, it'd be like jumping into a pool with no water. So you want more. Fresh snow, which is more water to jump into to make it softer. Some cushion. Some cushion. Okay. Okay. That's a good analogy. Got it. Yeah. So we deemed it unsafe. So we waited a month and came back to Colorado. And it turns out that it really hadn't snowed in a month. But we decided that since we were there. So you had to travel to get there. Yeah. How far? Uh, From Salt Lake City. So I'm not sure how. I mean, like ten hours, eight? maybe eight hours, something like that. So you drove eight hours to get to this jump. Yeah. Was there not a highway close to you that you could have done that at? I mean, this is a pretty nice highway. That's why you did. Lo- I mean, you pass. went to it's this. A, it's a pretty famous pass. I mean, we've done. Okay, that that answers my question. Is a famous pass. Yeah. So you wanted to do it right there. Yeah. That's okay. intent. That's intent. For <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> that is intent. If me and Brent were just driving down the road and we just saw a random pass and just were impulsively built a jump. <laughs> That would be that would not show intent. No. Okay, so you so, get there a month later, no new snow, but you decide to go for it. Yeah, you go got for it anyways. So we <laughs> um, decided to do rock paper scissors to see who had to go first, and Naturally. so I'm not as good as Griffin at rock paper scissors. So do you best of three or just one off? Best of three for sure. Oh, he got you. Best of three for <laughs> sure. Yeah, smarted you. Yeah. It's always playing. you must pick um, rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um so I I had to go first but Griffin had no idea how to operate the camera. So you're I, a professional photographer. Th- yeah, this is this is in the beginning. So I set up the camera on the tripod. I said, "All right, I'll go to the go to the top and when you see a giant tanker or a house coming through, a house coming a house." Up, because everything goes over level and pass, like houses on the back of trucks. I mean, mobile. Oh, home. like a yeah. mobile home. Yeah, like you name it, you can jump right. So you needed there. a big truck coming. Yep. And now he's working the camera. Yep. I just have him to hold hold the button. I told him, told him as soon as I hit the lip, just hold the button. And it just you had it on multi shot. Yeah, this so was back like, in the film days. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he's like, "All right." So as soon as they, um, as soon as it rounds the bend. I'll give a whistle and one's go, and then two is stop, and three is cops because you're not supposed to be <laughs> jumping over the highway. That's, me and Britt have that same thing. Yep. <laughs> one is go, two is stop, three is cops. 
Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's international. Yeah, it's like Morse code. <laughs> and so yeah, went up, went up to the top and got the whistle and went and bombed down, and shot over the top of two semi trucks, and they were passing each other like this. There's two going going up at the same time. There's one that went over, and the other one was like right in the right in the background of the photograph. Man, I wonder and what then, they were thinking if they saw you. Oh, but they're freaked out for sure. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> la- landed and made it a bit, but there's, I mean, just giant chunks of ice and the landings that kind of exploded and landed in a relatively soft spot and then uh, made Griffin go. So you land, you stuck it, you stuck the landing for a bit, and then it got. You then you yeah, crashed. It's a bit of a rodeo at the end, <laughs> but it was okay. <laughs> How high were you at the highest point from the ground? I don't know, maybe 30, 40 feet, something like that. How far was, did you jump? However, however far the standard width of a highway. <laughs> I <laughs> plus, mean, plus a little bit. I mean, landed 16 probably miles. 15, 20 feet past the guardrail. So probably you don't want to hit the guardrail. So but. like 100 feet probably or more. Maybe, I would say less than 100 feet, 70 gotcha. feet like that. He's never like, it's, ah, this is no big <laughs> deal. <laughs> and the, okay, and then the photograph that your buddy – he took it because he actually punched the shutter. Yeah, so the first photograph he ever took ended up being a double-page spread in <laughs> Skiing Magazine. Oh, wow. <laughs> my, my, my mom saw it. She was not, not very thrilled. <laughs> How old were you when that happened? Probably 23. Okay. That's a good age to make mistakes. Yeah, that's exactly. right. Mm, in that range. Mid-20s. Tent. I had to hear that story again. That's awesome. That's good. That's good. Hey, thank you, guys. Lake, anything you want to say? The Bear Grease World? Glad to be here again. Glad y'all came down here and were able to make it down this low river. And Yeah. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, man. Yeah. Next time we may just drive. I mean, <laughs> I, you could take the boat again if you wanted to. I wouldn't suggest we it. Laura's we're bringing, sweet we're bringing girl. separate boats next time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hiring a crew that will do what I tell them. <laughs> Drew, you're in. <laughs> Uh, Drew kind of worked out, didn't he? He worked out. Yeah. He worked out. I'm also cool, I'm absolutely. I think. I mean, I know I can speak for everybody here. I was tickled about Brent's buck. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, me too. And I'm very yeah. tickled for him. I've been paying attention to how well you did not talk about your archery shooting. Mm. So we'll just leave that as it is. Uh, I made a couple of good shots. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, real good ones. <laughs> Jordan didn't, uh, Jordan didn't get to cut on me about the duck, so he had to cut on somebody. <laughs> we'll just, we just leave it right there. Sometimes you got to climb down to reload. <laughs> Is there a reason all your arrows are covered in Mississippi gumbo mud, Mississippi buckshot? Someone's going to call in and be like, I was on a barge, and I swear I saw an arrow floating down the river. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jordan, good to have you, man. Mike? Good to have you. It's a pleasure. Mike's been our host. He's been hosting us this week quite a bit. Mr. Thad's been hosting us too, who's over here. But uh really appreciate it. We We're gonna come it. catfishing with you, man. Yeah, Dad, I hope we can do the it. I wanted to go so squirrel bad. hunt catfish combo. Let's do it. I'm in. Count That's me in. Good. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys.
I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. 